This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. There's no beauty here. Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and today it's just me again. That's why I said usually. I'm going to return to the good, the agreeable, and the beautiful. I said before that this is going to be a monthly segment on my coffee page, but considering Eh, hasn't quite kicked off, and frankly, I think it's a really fun thing to do, me just kind of talking to you and adding this kind of educational aspect to the podcast. I want to make this a regular fixture on the podcast, and maybe down the line, if we do a premium thing, we can have like extra episodes, interact with it a bit more. But so, to make it regular, we're just going to do it this way. Short little bites, possibly short, could go long, depends on how <laughs> intricate I get with my descriptions. But uh, as will be tradition for this segment, I did put up a poll for this one. So every time I do it, I will put up a poll on Twitter with four movies that you get to choose from. And yeah, with premium services, maybe we'll add the ability to insert a film yourselves so that you can get your pick put into the poll. And that would stay in the poll until it is chosen. What I did this month is I put in the following four films. The recently released Malignant. Roger Corman's 1964 classic Poe adaptation, The Mask of the Red Death, another Vincent Price classic. I did that in the first episode as well, and I just feel like if I can get a Vincent Price movie on the list each time, let's see when he finally gets chosen. 2006's Silent Hill, because I'm a big Silent Hill fan, and a film that is near and dear to my heart, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. All of these films are films that I can easily access or know recently. In the case of Malignant, I just happened to see it rather recently and have notes for the rest I own. So that's how I'm going to be making these polls, uh, I guess until I deplete my film catalog. Uh, and Malignant won in quite grand fashion. So last time it was Hellraiser that swept everything up. This time we have Malignant, and I'm really eager to talk about it with all of y'all. So I will give you a very brief synopsis of the film, and then I will review it based on the three titular criteria. Is it good? Is it agreeable? And is it beautiful? If you want a more detailed description of those concepts, you should check out episode 17 of The Beauty of Horror, where I have the first ever episode of this segment, and I go into quite some detail. It's kind of like an episode zero, so I really go into the concepts, how this all works, how we are supposed to view things philosophically, uh, I will give a brief description here, just so we know what I'm talking about, but far more detail in that episode. So then, let's get started. With the synopsis of Malignant, I do feel this is a film that is best seen and experienced before you really hear anything about it, so my synopsis will be as spoiler-free as possible. I will talk about spoilers in the description, you know, in, in the whole discussion of the film, so please make sure you have seen the film before you actually listen to this, because I think your experience is going to make this episode even more interesting for you. I don't really like to spoil that, but it is the nature of this. I do have to get into the details, and if you don't mind spoilers, that's fine, but I'm telling you right now, you would have benefited from just seeing this cold, okay? Um, the 
brief synopsis I want to give is that Malignant is about a woman by the name of Madison who is being plagued by visions of a horrible killer. Every time she spots his murders, she's kind of thrust into the area, sees the murders, where they're happening, but her own reality starts to shift and mold into it, and she becomes paralyzed on the spot. She tries to convince everybody around her what's going on, and it becomes a race against the clock to see if they can stop the killer in time. And of course, as we go on, we find more and more about the killer and possibly why Madison has these visions in the first place. That's as much as I want to tell you. Everything else is so out there that we'll get into it in the spoiler territory. Uh, Before we get into that, though, let us get into the good, the agreeable, the beautiful. What are they? What do they mean? What are we talking about? Also, by the way, you may have noticed this is on a Monday. We're having two episodes of The Beauty of Horror this week. Coming Friday is a special episode. I will have more information on why that is special here at the end of this episode. So please stick around until the end. But first thing is first. The good, the agreeable, and the beautiful. So the good. What do we mean by good? In philosophical terms, and these terms come from Immanuel Kant. So we're talking old here. 1700 Germany. The good in his description is, and keep in mind, these are applicable for art, for our aesthetic experiences. That which is good is good at being what it is and or is useful. That is a very general gist. Again, there's a much longer description in episode 17 of The Beauty of Horror. But really what we're looking at are formal structures. Is it well made? Is it useful to anybody? What is the purpose of it? Is it achieving this thing? And this movie, I think this is probably the most contentious discussion about Malignant in the first place. Is is it a good movie? This movie is campy. This movie's ridiculous. It's wild. That's a word I've seen a lot. Wild. And it is wild. This movie breaks expectations. Was the marketing for this movie good? Yes and no. Yes, in that it got people to watch the film. No, in that it really deceived the audience. And I think that's where the response is coming from. People have just flat out said, oh, but it's so bad. And then there are a lot of people who feel like, but it's intentionally bad. And I take issue with it in general because it's not bad in in, in any sense. This movie is a very good movie if we're looking at it from this specific viewpoint and this uh, this specific lens what makes it good then i mean if you've seen it you know what i'm talking about you know that it's it's a it's a tough pill to swallow it's very extra very campy that word i'm going to be using a lot camp it's it's a camp classic without a lot of the charm and that's also got a lot of people down is that if you're going to be a camp classic, they feel that camp comes from a lack of ability to achieve certain things. Whereas that's not true. Camp really comes from making things more over the top to make a point or to make a pastiche of something, to make something serious ridiculous. You know, that that's that's a camp thing to do is, is to in, in imbue something with extra energy. And to go off the rails a little bit on purpose. And this movie does this. It's just not as flamboyantly camp as a lot of other classics. And I don't think, you know, it's not a queer movie at all. And I think often we feel that camp falls in the territory of queer stories. And it's not as if that is, you know, 
inherent. It's just the two go together really well. It's a very good artistic medium for queer stories and a great protest as well. But it, 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 you know, they go together beautifully. It's not to say, though, that you have to have some sort of queer narrative for it to be camp. So it gets a little muddy there, and that, that, that's, a, that's a completely different uh, description and discussion. But the point is, is it a good movie? The script is really good. So the script, it has three writers, which I know is a red flag for a lot of people, but it's written by James Wan, Ingrid Bisou, and Akella Coopers. The concept is from Akella Cooper. She wrote the screenplay as well. So those are the three people who made the story, but Akella Cooper is the one that we can accredit the script to. James Wan directed the film, so those two collaborated quite closely on making this particular film. And if you were to say it's bad, to say it's bad is just wrong. There's just nothing really bad about this film the budget is there and i know that there are plenty of big budget movies that are terrible but the script is really good oh yeah you heard me right this script is good this script knows what it's doing it's a soap opera it's camp as i said the things in this movie that are stilted that are weird that are nonsensical they aren't trying to make sense so some people really want realism in their films this movie's not going for realism it's putting something in reality in in seattle you know a place that's tangible a place that we know and then just showing a seattle that doesn't even exist a lot of our favorite movies from the 80s did this and the only thing that this movie's missing is a 35 millimeter camera and varying levels of you know practical effects there are practical effects in this film there's contortionism there's a practical puppet for gabriel a lot of practical blood and gore and everything in it. Good props, everything. Sure, there's some CGI, but we live in 2021 where CGI is really good and you can do a lot with it. And that means that you can take some of those concepts that, you know, before you might actually have what looks like a puppet busting out of a wall and just staying stationary and flailing back and forth. No, this thing can crawl around and, and get up on the ceilings and do all kinds of crazy shit. And it does in this movie because of the CGI. I don't think that we should be faulting films for using CGI anymore. I'm sorry. If you were born before 1990 and you're still pissy about that, get over it. That's just the way movies are made now. And we can celebrate when somebody does a pure practical film. But that doesn't mean you have to tear down other movies that use the technology that we have nowadays. It doesn't inherently make it bad. You're already getting into the territory of what we would call the agreeable. It means you don't like it. I'm going to get to that here in a moment. Let's stay on the good, though. It's good from the script writing perspective. Every beat in the film serves the film. There are moments that don't really matter that seem as if they're really big, but that's also kind of the point. They're meant to make you chuckle. They're meant to make you understand a character better more than they are meant to really affect the narrative. The whole adoption storyline it only affects the narrative enough for us to know why Madison was in the research facility and how we got there. Why she was adopted in the first place. Why her mother got rid of her. So it's necessary for the plot, but it doesn't really change anything later in the story. You know what I mean? The developments don't really change other than her and Sydney have a better relationship by the end of the film. Which is great, but this movie doesn't care about that as much as it cares about. Holy shit, look at Gabriel. What the fuck is this? And we have a new classic movie monster that's what this movie's doing that's what this movie's setting out the entire way through is that madison is a new type of final girl madison is both protagonist and antagonist in a way that we have not seen in a film i think probably ever in this type of oeuvre of film 
especially not in a Jalo film. That's another thing. Is it a good Jalo? It really is. Sure, it doesn't have like 60s or 70s psychedelic rock music or the, the splashy color palettes that some of them use or it's not dubbed over and, and, you know, it doesn't have any of that charm of like, hey, you should go the extra mile to create a pastiche to really make it bad. It doesn't do those things. Instead, what it does is it has a soap opera style. The acting is really, oh, no, but actually pretty well acted when Madison finds out that, you know, she lost her baby in the fight with Gabriel. I, I really felt for her. She sold the shit out of it. Annabelle Wallace sold it really, really well. Really good crying, screaming. There are moments of genuine emotion in this film. It just doesn't dwell on them. It's just like, okay, now we understand this character's motivations a little bit more. The miscarriage leads us to the end when Madison literally kills Gabriel kindness. <laughs> just by being like, I'm not going to let you kill my family. I'm not going to let you take things away from me because I love them and I love you and I'm sorry I did this to you. Fuck me. That is a great story. Good story. The directorial work here is amazing. James Wan, if this phase is just good, I don't think there's any denying that. He has put just about every bit of his experience into this movie. So I commend him on that. Every shot is very calculated. A lot of angles are used really well. His work in action films it, it comes here. The whole precinct fight, the whole chase with Gabriel through the streets of Seattle. Even when Kakoa and uh, Regina show up in their car outside of the house, the way the car <clears throat> zooms in, the way the camera's following it, it, it's straight out of the Fast and the Furious. Same deal when it comes to the horror. There's a lot of Insidious in this movie. There's a lot of Saw in this movie. The way the close-ups. There's even an, an emulation of Insidious when Gabriel's, you know, he's grinding this trophy to turn it into a knife is just like the demon grinding its nails to make them nice and sharp and it looks very similar so there's a lot of nods here and there but instead of making them full easter eggs it's more that this has a similar point to it or at least the scene resembles this other scene and Juan has used his expertise and experience to to recreate that feeling uh, that's masterful in my opinion so very good all the actors knew what they were doing. I'm sorry. You say it's bad acting. Some of you are like, well, but the acting is really bad and I can't handle it. The acting is very melodramatic, but it is as designed. These are directorial choices. These are not bad acting moments. They're not troll two. They're not the director saying, please, for the love of God, do this. And then an actor not able to do it. All of these actors did exactly what they were told to do. If you don't believe me, watch Aquaman, and you can see James Wan doing that yet again, getting everybody to be big Saturday morning cartoon characters. In this movie, they're big, jalo, melodrama characters. So, is it good? Without a doubt, it is good. I'm sorry if you don't agree with that, but I think objectively, just watch it again, and you will agree. It just does what it's set out to do. Okay, now on to the agreeable. The agreeable as a concept is really, did you like it? Does it agree with you? I think the best analogy for this, actually for the two, the relationship between the good and the agreeable, is like a wine. Now, some of you who don't drink wine, you may not think it's a really good analogy, but stay with me. I'm sure you have heard people talk about wine, because people who like wine like to talk about wine. Uh, but a wine connoisseur would know if a wine is good. Whiskey drinkers, you know it too. You know if they've done the work to make this a good whiskey. Same with wine. Did they ferment it well? Did they use the right materials? Did they farm it well? 
Was the soil good? Are these high quality grapes? Where did it come from? You can kind of taste those things if you really learn the subtleties of wine. Does it taste good? Those things. It's a good wine. But agreeability, however, there are really good wines that I know people who trash them because they're just like, I don't know, I don't like a Shiraz, so I can't say it's a good one. <laughs> Even if it's a really good Shiraz, it's like, I don't know, I'm more of a Merlot kind of person. You see what I'm saying? Even if you don't know what those the differences between those two are, they're different types of flavors. They're different techniques. It's like, if let's talk horror films then. It's like saying... The original Halloween is a trash film and it's bad because I only like movies like the others. Those are two completely different types of movies. If you only like supernatural films, of course you don't really like slashers because you only like supernatural films. You see what I'm saying here? There is still a difference between a good supernatural film and a bad supernatural film. There's a good slasher and a bad slasher. You may not like any slashers, but you can still say, oh, this one was pretty well made. That's where I am here with Malignant. This is a well-made movie. It's a good movie. Agreeability is where we're going to differ a lot, and this is where people are differing a lot. Taste. Taste is a big thing. I loved this movie. It did play with me a bit. I did go through what a lot of people went through, which was, oh no, <laughs> at the beginning of the film. I was expecting a darker, more just horrible film like this. This, like I, I remember Insidious really scared the hell out of me. Now, granted, I will say... By now, Insidious doesn't really scare me anymore. I watch it for different reasons. If you want to know more about that, you should check out the episode on Insidious for The Beauty of Horror, where I talked to John Green, and we both agreed that it's a very wholesome family film, that that's the part of it that we love more nowadays, is the good directing, the acting, and this family structure. Just it's all, It just gives us cozy, spooky autumn vibes, but you know we're not really taken aback by it anymore because we see it all coming. So with James Wan, I've never really had that kind of long-lasting, terrifying experience, and I thought Malignant was going to be the one. It was going to be the movie that made me like, oh my god, I'm really scared of this thing. It didn't really happen because the movie wasn't trying to do that. The promotion was definitely trying to make it sound like the movie was going to be that. The posters were really dark and scary. The, tr the first trailer, at the very least, was quite intense. But the movie we got was a surprise. And mm, So I don't think the marketing was very good for this. But it was a choice. Let's put it that way. Everything was a choice. It wasn't as if anything was an accident. It's not like they just cut a weird trailer. Everything in the trailer is accurate. They just withheld information because they wanted you to see this movie and go, oh, it's this kind of movie. And I, I was elated to see this kind of a movie because this is like a reanimator. <laughs> this movie is just balls out creativity and violence and just wacky characters but at the same time, it's trying to say something. You know, Akella Cooper's done a great job of infusing the story with little tidbits here and there about society. Uh, in my own review on shockaholic.org, I kind of tore it apart a little bit because I wasn't really sure if the movie was trying to really tell us this narrative of like, hey, look, Regina's not really being listened to. Black women are never listened to in the workplace. Women of color have a big struggle here because Regina's also kind of like the comedic relief through a lot of the film. And, you know, if you really did listen to her, we wouldn't have a movie. It would just be like, no, arrest her, done. The thing is, though, she's right, though. From the moment go, she's like, so all of this shit started when this woman is beaten by her husband and then her husband's dead. No sign of forced injury, anything like that. Well, you have a motive. You have a person. You should arrest her. And they don't do it. They call her in for questioning, whatever. But because Kako is a, a bleeding heart and he sees this woman 
who's all frail in the hospital and stuff. They, they try to find a way around it. And of course, when she's like, oh, but I, I can see the killer and all that, you know, it's, it's quite a thing. Or Regina's like, I, look, she's, she's clearly unhinged. You shouldn't be listening to this woman. She's dangerous. And lo and behold, I mean, is it's not her consciousness that's doing it, but it is her body that is physically killing these people. And uh, that bothered me at first, but I'm going to have to like eat those words. You know, the more I've learned about the writing of the film and the more I've, you know, soaked it in. And my second viewing of the film really hammered it home, too. It's funny, but it's in a very cynical kind of way. You know, Regina should have been listened to. In reality, the Reginas of the world are not listened to. And, and they really should be. I like that shit. I think that's a really cool way to slip it in here. It's one of those movies that just makes the cops look really fucking stupid, which is a very classic thing to do, a very 80s horror kind of thing to do. Watch any any Friday the 13th after part three, anytime they have the cops involved, they're kind of the problem. Hell, even the Nightmare on Elm Street series from the very first film, the cops are just trying to be rational and think in a way of just like, let's not listen to the women in the story and everybody ends up dying because of it. So cool. We do have it. Like if you just listened to Regina, you would have saved some lives. So it's in there. It's just in there to a way that I'm like, I don't know. We do like Sydney and we do like Madison. So it's kind of hard to say that they are a problem or as problematic as they should be, I suppose. But it's a lighthearted film, so I understand that the film's not kind of bashing us over the head with it. It's, we still want to have fun with all the characters that are involved. And I had a blast. I love me a film like this. The practical effects in Gabriel were phenomenal. The contortionist that played Gabriel with Madison running backwards and stuff was it's exquisite. I love James Wan's directing here, which I'll get into a bit more in detail for the next segment because there's some beautiful stuff in this movie. Uh, Joseph Bashara's score is unlike most of his work. You can hear a little bit of Insidious in there, but for the most part, he's added a lot of synth and, and grungy kind of industrial sounds to it. Uh, they've also added some actual industrial tracks, uh, a remix of Where Is My Mind, which is just a fantastically cheeky <laughs> song to put in here when you literally have somebody in the back of somebody's head controlling them as a puppet. The script I liked, the winks, the nods, the fact that this movie is like looking at you constantly going like, just sit back, just have some fun. I really needed this movie. So maybe it's special for me in that sense. I really needed it. I didn't see where it was going. Uh, I mean, I did in the sense like I knew exactly what was happening in the sense that I knew that this movie was going to be ridiculous the whole way through and that Gabriel had some sort of strange connection with Madison. I thought it was like a split personality or something like that. I did pick up on the fact that Gabriel looked a lot like Madison. But no, it was, uh, my partner, though, she picked it up real fast. She's like, conjoined twins. I'm like, that's a little extra, okay? That's like something I don't think anybody would go that far, okay? We have that conversation a lot. I can be really mean. Usually I'm right because I'm just talking from a perspective of how not creative the film industry likes to be. It's like, so it's like, hey, this is, I think the tone <laughs> was enough for the studio. That's where I was feeling. It's like, there's just no way they would have let him do that. And then, boom, we just see him like crack the back of her skull in the middle of the jail cell. And she's like, I fucking told you. Like, <laughs> uh, every time they were talking about Gabriel, she's like, I'm telling you, he's a, he's a tumor. And he's conjoined twin in the back of her head. I'm like, I, uh, we'll see. And like, I shit you not, like maybe two minutes later, they revealed that stuff. I'm like, okay, she schooled me that day. She could feel what James Wan was putting out. I was just, I'm too jaded. <laughs> okay. I don't expect filmmakers to be allowed to be that creative anymore. And 
I really think, yeah, she should just write some of her ideas to James Wan. Because some of the things she said, I would love to see. I just don't think anybody would ever make them. <laughs> That's all. I don't think the movie's going this way. So I was really happy to be wrong because the movie just took me on a ride that I wasn't expecting. And I think some people don't like that. I, don't, I, I, I get it. Some people just want a movie that they were promised. The thing is, this movie didn't ever lie. The, the trailer doesn't lie. It just doesn't tell you the whole story. Everything it tells you is part of it. It's all true. She does see visions. She does get paralyzed. She is tracking a killer. The killer is coming ever closer to her because Gabriel is inside of her. And on an emotional level, he is systematically one by one taking down every single person that ever got in between them so that it's just him and her. So they never lied about any of that stuff. The only thing that made it misleading was the fact that they talk about an imaginary friend, but it's all in your head, right? Very, very cool, subtle stuff in this film. Will it agree with you? Oh, uh, you know, mm, mm. Uh, you know, there are times when I can clear cut say when a movie is going to appeal to somebody. If you like this, you're going to like this movie. If you don't like this, you're not going to like this movie. Uh, I, this is actually, so real talk, this is my second take of this because my recording didn't work. And in my first take, I did outline all the things that if you don't like this or you do like this, you probably will or won't like Malignant. But the more I think of it, I just don't know. I know plenty of people who love Jalo films, plenty of people who love camp films, who hated this movie. They just thought it didn't work. They're looking for that charm. You know, they really want the gritty effects and seeing somebody kind of struggle to put something together and then just seeing the heart and soul put on the screen. I just don't feel that this movie's lacking that. It just has a budget. So for once, we have a director who was just given all the money to do what he wanted, and he did. But the passion that Akella Cooper has and that James Wan has, I think is really evident in this film. The way the actors are, you could tell they had a blast making this movie. You could tell everybody was just laughing their asses off on set, high-fiving each other, that it was just this kind of creative jam session of like, oh, oh, maybe I should do it this way to really hammer that home. Okay, oh, oh, but do it this. Yes, oh, slip on that piece of blood. Um, okay, but then one, two, now you're going to fall. Stuff like that. A lot of creative stuff going on. And if you've ever been on a film set, you know, I've been on multiple. Sometimes you get the really clinical one, especially the studio projects. You're going to get the more clinical. Everybody shut up, hit your marks. This has to be a painting come to life kind of a movie. And then I've been on some smaller things where we're just going you know, we're making it up as we go. We have a script, but we're just like, hey, I can make the scene a little bit better. And this is this movie. It's disjointed because of it. And that's the part of it that really was charming to me is this this lack of the joints were all there. But just like with Gabriel, they're kind of backwards and broken every now and then. And I really appreciated that. So it agrees with me. Will it agree with you? I really, I really freaking don't know because it really depends on what you're into. But I will say this. If you've only seen it once and you've already made up your mind, you hate this movie, it doesn't agree with you, two things I want to note. You cannot call it a bad movie because it is not a bad movie. They made the movie they wanted to make. It came out well. It looks good. The graphics are good. Everything is done well. Everything is done the way it was planned to be. Don't do that. Just say what is true, which is it did not agree with you. You didn't like it. That's fine. Please own it. If you don't like something, try to own it and don't put it on the film and start dogging everybody else's work. They put a lot of work in this movie. They're very proud of it. You should let them be proud of it. The second point, though, is watch it again. My second viewing was even better than my first viewing because now that I knew where it was going, I could see the movie taking me on this ride 
And I don't like that in a film. Usually, if there's a movie that has like a lot of big reveals and it blows your damn mind the first time you see it, it's not a rewatchable film. Malignant is totally a rewatchable film. It's one of those films that is good and great if you enjoyed it, of course. If, if it really it, it agrees with your sensibilities, it's just one of those movies that you can kind of repeat and come back to it. You don't care so much about the reveals. You care about experiencing those characters, experiencing the reveals, and just watching them going like, what? And you're like, I know, right? It's so weird. So please watch it again and see if you can stomach it better knowing what it is. And if you still can't, there's nothing wrong with that. Please note that. Taste is yours. You know, there's nothing objective about taste. The only objective part of it is knowing the difference between objective observations versus subjective opinions. Two different things. So... Was it agreeable? 100% for me. Yes. Which leads me to, is it beautiful? There are a lot of aspects of this film that I found very beautiful. In particular, James Wan's directing. He's already shown us in films, all the way back to like Insidious, how beautifully he can craft a shot. Saul has a lot of technically sound directing in it, and it's very impressive, but that movie inherently is just dirty and nasty and that shows in the editing and in the filmmaking as well that was the aesthetic they were going for but from insidious on i think he was trying to explore other things in the episode on insidious i go in more detail on it but there is a shot with the ceiling light that they do where they swirl around it in the intro it just blew my mind at the time again with the conjuring there's a shot where the mother and the family are running up the stairs to look for one of the kids who are presumably in, in the walls and so they go through the floor and kind of switch upside down and back down in a way that kind of mirrors the intensity of the scene. They do a shot in this movie that just blows all of them out of the water, and it's the same type of concept, but it's really him saying, look what I can do. So with all the stuff that a lot of people didn't like, I love this, a lot of the digital work here, one thing they did was Madison's running away from Gabriel in one of the first encounters she has with him. Now, we know what's happening at this point, especially if you've seen it already, is that Madison's kind of actually trapped in a reality that Gabriel has created in her mind. So she feels that she's doing things like the laundry and walking around the house and doing mundane stuff. But really, she's sleepwalking because Gabriel's actually walking around and doing things. And he's just keeping her from understanding and seeing things. So it's not until she really starts to have visions of what's really happening and getting a closer look at it that she becomes paralyzed because she realizes she doesn't have any control. At this point, she still thinks she has control. So she sees things as a haunting. She's seeing like doors are open that she doesn't remember opening and things like this. So when she starts hearing Gabriel walking around, which of course is just herself, she just runs. And they do this weird thing where they do like a top-down approach. So instead of it being like you in the conjuring they use this y-axis so the, the vertical axis of showing them go up the stairs and down the stairs and they stay really in the two-dimensional sphere this goes more 3d goes top down and just shows all the different pillars and archways and stuff from above so they cut out the ceiling they cut out the top like the first floor or i guess if you're in america the, the, the second floor and so she starts on the ground floor and she runs up the stairs and we just kind of pan out follow her so the camera's kind of fixed on her movements and follows her up and then the floor kind of like just manifests and appears as she comes up the staircase until she gets into the bedroom i loved this shot so much because it just doesn't need to be in a movie like this this movie does not call for these types of shots and there's so many of them in it uh, i already mentioned the car like with kakoa the way he drives in 
at the beginning of their whole investigation when they introduce them. It's straight out of Fast and Furious. That car has personality. Thought it was gorgeous. The underground of Seattle, it's just breathtaking how they really show a lot of the 1800s there and, and this kind of how it used to look in, in Gaslight, basically. I loved what James Wan was doing with this film. And I can see that he didn't really, he did not compromise his abilities because of the tone of the film. In fact, he decided to meld the two together to create something unique. It worked for me a lot, but whether it works for you or not, I think it's undeniable that some of these shots are just beautifully shot. Even the, the most ridiculous moment in the film, I'd say, is when they go to the research facility and it's just like castle on a hill in the distance and has this like dun 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 house on a haunted hill kind of vibe. It looks gorgeous. It even looks like a matte painting the way they used to do in the 60s and the 70s. I was really impressed by these things. I found them quite beautiful. The way the lighting was done in the film was really gorgeous. The award that's turned into a weapon is a very beautiful weapon. It's gold. It's glistening. They really focus on those fine details, even down to how Gabriel's jacket glistens in the rain, things like this. The most grotesque elements of the film have a bit of sense of beauty to them. And I could have taken some people out. I think some people were looking for more grit, more grime, more ugliness. And there's enough of it, in my opinion. The polish on it, I really enjoyed. I do feel it's more of a grotesque film than it is beautiful. And I mean very much so. That's a whole different topic in itself, though, of what that means by grotesque. I don't mean grotesque in the colloquial sense of like it's kind of ugly. Ugliness and grotesque are two completely different things. I may explore that in the future. But for now... Let's not let's put a pin in that one just so I can stay with beauty right now. Um, they, they are not the same, but they do overlap just a little bit. I can't say the film is beautiful. It's beautifully shot, but the score is not beautiful. It's grungy. It's aggressive. It's it's horrifying. The the people in it are beautiful. You know, good makeup, good hair. So there are beautiful aspects of it. But you have this in just about any big budget horror film. So. It's not like a Del Toro movie, you know, where everything is meant to give you this sense of wonder and beauty and try to show you how horrible things can be beautiful. In this case, it really is just, damn, James Wan can direct a movie. <laughs> so there's some beautiful shots in it. But this is one grotesque-ass movie. And from the script to the characters, acting, sound, design, everything, story, it's all pretty grotesque. So no... I would not qualify this as a beautiful film. I would love for somebody to make that case on the beauty of horror, though. So if you were listening and you want to make that case, let me know. Maybe I'll get you into the next season. But that's it. Those are the three. Good, agreeable, beautiful. So just to recap real quick, did I find it good? Absolutely, 100%. No denying that. Check mark. It is good. Is it agreeable? Can't really give a full check on that. It's got my little hazy check mark because I find it agreeable. You might not. If you do, I'd love to hear Hell, if you hated it, I'd really love to hear why you hated it, too. So hit me up. Let me know. I'll give all of the details of where you can find me here in my outro here in a little bit. And did I find it beautiful? No, I did not. Because just as a whole, it is not a beautiful movie. It has a beautiful story to it. You know, family, love, self-love, things like that. But mm, I'm going to say no on this one. And I'm very hesitant to say yes or no on, on beauty, I suppose. But uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough call. 
So that's it. That is the good, the agreeable, and the beautiful. I did say there were a few announcements at the end of the episode, so I'm going to get into those before I wrap up. I just want to say, you know, this is on a Monday. Friday, we have the season finale of The Beauty of Horror. So it's a proper episode. It's my longest episode so far as well. It has two guests instead of one. Makes it a very special episode. And another thing that makes it special is I brought in the film. I considered it's such a nice closure to the first season to just give my input. So I think I might do that every season. I'll bring in a film of my own on those seasons, but I'll let everything else be chosen by guests or by the listeners when it comes to the good, the agreeable, and the beautiful. But yeah, so season finale, we will be back at a later date. I just need some time off and more details in that episode. So please listen to the entire episode. At the end of the episode, there are details on what you can expect from season two. Of course, the guests who are on that episode will be announced on Friday. Really looking forward to it. It's a film that was just so impactful for me and so many other people. And it is one I think a lot of people are still talking about. So check it out. Get hyped. It was a great episode. I had a lot of fun making it. All right. That was this. I look forward to our next installment of this. That'll be in season two. Uh, Thank you all for listening. But time to wrap up. This podcast is a part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So be sure to follow the Anatomy of a Scream podcast page on your preferred podcast platform to check out more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts, including... The Scream Teens with Gory Corey and Lena. White Ladies in Crisis, hosted by Jen Adams, Anatomy of a Scream's own Joe Lipset and Gina Radcliffe, and much, much more. You can find more info at anatomyofascream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror, or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic, and you can check out my website, which is shockaholic.org. If you want to interact directly with the podcast, maybe tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Malignant, please hit me up which is on Twitter, at BeautyHorrorPod, or you can email me at BeautyOfHorrorPod at gmail.com. There's also a Discord community that we've set up. little calm, because I don't have a lot of time to maintain it, but as I find moderators and stuff, I really want to make that a nice, lively area. So please check out Discord, say hello. I, I respond more than I generate, so I'm always kind of there. I get notifications, so please say hello. Love to talk to you. But until then, thank you, dear listener, for joining me in talking about the beauty that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye. There's no beauty here. Only death and decay. The Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad.